Now, follow is in your copies as I begin reading at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God It endures forever. We're going to wrap up this morning our, our study of the book of Ephesians and uh, in this section that is known as the whole armor of God. I, I realize that this is not exactly what you'd call a very Christmassy text, uh, but I had this wonderful idea while I was in D.C. Um, uh, next Sunday, which I, which I think is the 25th, would, would make a great time for a Christmas sermon, don't you think? <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. We'll have, we'll have that, the Christmas sermon next Sunday. Now, guys, um, in this section, as I said, known as the whole armor, uh, there are six pieces of armor that are mentioned, that are specified, six specifics. What we ought to do is spend a week on each one of them, but we're not. We're going to spend one Sunday on all six of them, which means that we've got to move fairly rapidly through all six of them, skipping a whole lot of stuff, uh, I I understand, but you know my commitment to you was to do two sermons uh, per chapter. Uh, but there are a couple here that I do want to spend more time than, than we spend on the other four. So that's what we'll do. We'll spend a little bit lengthier time on two and then kind of a very brief time on four. Guys, it's, it's pretty obvious what Paul is calling us to do. He mentions it four times. He mentions it once in verse 11, twice in verse 13, and once in verse 14. He's telling us to stand. Stand. Um, and by that, I, I, I think what he's meaning is that he wants us to endure victoriously. That is, he wants us to win in the face of this enemy that he's describing in this chapter. So, with that in mind, let's suit up. Now, guys, you've got you've to get a mental picture in your mind because it's in Paul's. The mental picture of a Roman soldier. He is using that Roman soldier idea and drawing out of it and from it to, to mention certain pieces of his armor as, um, as illustrative of things that we need in the battle in which we find ourselves. All right? So, so get that in mind. For instance, in verse 14, the, the first specific has to do with the belt, a girdle depending on your, trans, uh, your translation. 
uh, if you can think of those Roman soldiers, you know, all those movies you saw back with Elizabeth Taylor. I, I just told you how old I was. Um, all those movies with Roman soldiers, they would, what they would do is that they would take all of this, this extra material that was in their, their, their clothes and they would, they would gather it up and cinch it up underneath a belt so that it wouldn't get in their way once the battle began. So that's the image. A Roman soldier with the things that he did, he had a belt and he'd take all this garment and he'd gather it up there and tie it up real tight. And he says, uh, in verse 14, the, the, the first one mentioned is, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. <clears throat> the belt, the girdle, he calls Truth. If we fight from a posture of uncertainty or, or superstition or, or ignorance, then we are easy prey for any kind of deceit and lie that might come down the pike. Now, guys, I want you to notice in the text, look what he says. He does not say a truth. He does not even say the truth as if a reference to the Bible. He simply says truth, the existence of truth. Gang, any of us who are 50 years old or younger have been suckled on the idea that truth doesn't even exist. That truth is relative. It's relative to the time and the place and the people. Um, which has given rise to this this demon child called pluralism, which places Christianity down down alongside all of the world's other so-called great religions. Even in the church, guys, truth is being described as spongy. It's more like a trampoline that kind of gives and flexes as, as the situation changes. You listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I want to say this without one hint of equivocation in my voice. That kind of nonsense is a direct attack on the heart of Christianity. One of the things that Paul says that you need before the battle ever begins is to somehow come to the, to the conviction and to the assurance that you are in possession of truth. Guys, all of this business about relativism and spongy and, 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 and trampolines and, 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 and all that business, it is, a, it is one of those wilds. It's one of those schemes of the devil that he mentions in verse 11. It's one of those, the cosmic powers over this present darkness is, is on the attack. Gang, As a Christian, you must start here. You've got to settle this right now. Are you, as a Christian, 
in possession of truth. Or are you not? And if you are unsure about that, you are or very soon will be a battlefield casualty. Gang, Paul starts with this for a reason. You've got to settle this before the battle begins. You know, ladies and gentlemen, some of you are sitting in your pews right this minute and this struggle is going on inside of you. True. Well, you know, and then when I was in college, they taught me, you know, you know, and I know what they say on the news and, and, and I'm not sure about this. <laughs> Do you know what you're experiencing? This. Do you know why Paul wrote this? Because of that battle that's going on within you right now. That, that hesitation that, that's going on in your mind right this second. Well, I'm not sure. What that... That's why Paul wrote this. Here, here's step one, ladies and gentlemen. Cinch it up. Under a belt. Called truth. You know, ladies and gentlemen, in the 21st century church, there's not much of a premium being placed on truth. We will negotiate over it. We will make excuses for it. We'll apologize for it. We'll barter it away in the name of evangelism. Ladies and gentlemen, I am saying to you in the 21st century church, a lot that is going on today under the name of evangelism is nothing more than the shaving off of the fine edges of the truth. We, um, we will exchange it. We'll barter it away for peace. Everybody knows that there's supposed to be peace and purity in the church. Ladies and gentlemen, I want peace. But I'm just not willing to sacrifice truth to get it. And furthermore, I am just foolish enough to believe that peace without truth is no peace at all. I think I've told this story. I'm not sure I've told it from this pulpit, but I know I've told this story before. And in fact, it comes out of a Steve Brown book. Uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy. It's on page 168, in case you're interested. But it's a story about Donald Gray Barnhouse. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the, the, um, the former pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. He was there for years. Um, and Donald Gray Barnhouse taught a Bible study on Wednesday nights, just like we do here at Grace of Ann. And, um, but his Bible study, after the Bible study, they had a question and answer period. A Q&A. Which really is probably a pretty good idea. But, but anyway, they had a question and answer period after their Bible study. And on one particular Wednesday night, a lady raises her hand. And um, she says, Dr. Barnhouse, the, the church that I attend, I, I'm not a member here. The, the, the church that I attend, the preacher makes fun of the Bible. He doesn't believe in the resurrection. He doesn't believe in the virgin birth. What should I do? And it said that Barnhouse looked over his glasses and without a moment's hesitation said, Madam, you should pray that he dies. 
you know, guys, that, that might be a little heavy for some of you. But is it refreshing for somebody to be so concerned about truth? Guys, it's mentioned first for a reason. Without it, all else is lost. You cannot live without truth. You're not going to make any stand until you are convinced that you are in possession of truth. So you better settle that one now. Or you're, um, you're on your way down. You know, I, I probably shouldn't raise this issue because I'm certainly not trying to pile on. Um, it, it's just been such an ugly event in our, in our community about this uh, mayor in South Haven, Mississippi. And it's been all of the news. If you haven't read it, uh, good. It's been rather sorted. And I'm not trying to say anything about guilt or innocence. I'm not trying to say anything about whether he's a Christian or not a Christian. I, I don't know any of that. I don't know any of that. I just know what I read in the commercial appeal. But here's the question that arose in my mind. Did you not think you were going to get caught? Did it never cross your mind that you were going to get caught in this? You know, ladies and gentlemen, the only thing I can come up with, I'm not sure I'm right, but the only thing I can come up with is that somewhere along the line, he fell prey to a liar. You better settle this. You better settle this now. Or you're next up to be deceived by all of the wiles and the schemes of the evil one. I got to move on. Um, guys, it, it's hard to rank these in terms of order. All I can tell you is Paul has a, a, a sequence in his mind, and, and which makes me conclude that I think he did consider these to be, you know, the, the top two. Um, he, he mentions next, it's also in, in verse 14. He says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, guys, uh, again, remember the imagery of the Roman soldier. Now think of a breastplate. What is it that a breastplate covers? It covers this section of the body. It, it covers the vitals, the viscera, the heart. It's a breastplate that covers all of this important stuff in here. Okay? Now, that is to be protected, says Paul, by righteousness. Now, I, I, hoping that I'm not going too far afield in trying to track down what is in the mind of the apostle Paul. And I, and I don't think I am when Paul is talking about this piece of protection and this area, he is talking about the heart, the viscera. That is, it's a, it's a reference to the feelings, to the, to the affections, to the emotions, to, to even the conscience. It's, he's referring to the, to the area that is the seat of my emotional life, my heart. 
You know, guys, that kind of language has drifted into the common verbiage. For instance, we talk about, I got a gut feeling. Or, in my heart of hearts. Or, I gave my heart to her. Or, my heart is so tender towards them. Guys, that's what Paul is describing that is going to be protected. This device, this breastplate thing, is designed to protect our emotional lives. And, and, and very frankly, that doesn't even do it justice. That is, emotional lives. Um, it, it has to do with my whole inner self. Where so much of my trouble begins. Oh, how much trouble we Christians get ourselves into. Because we're emotional wrecks. Because we're basket cases. You know, there there are many who name the name of Christ whose whole spiritual experience is based on feelings. You know, have you ever heard this, this language, well, he just got carried away. Carried away by what? By out-of-control emotions. You know, guys, I I dare say that the majority of our spiritual breakdowns come right here. An untamed emotional me. And all of the decisions that are made because I have an untamed emotional me. Fear, depression, shame. You know, guys, emotions make wonderful servants, but they make terrible masters. And, and, and what is it that's supposed to protect us in this, this whole inner part of me? Righteousness, says Paul. Well, well, well what is that? Well, let me give you a kind of a quick textbooky kind of answer. Righteousness is that which is God's gracious initiative in putting sinners right with himself through Christ. Do you get that? Righteousness is that which is God's gracious initiative in putting sinners like us right with himself through Jesus Christ. That's righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, and that's supposed to be our bulletproof vest. Who can dent the Kevlar of Christ's righteousness covering us? No one. No thing. It's impregnable. It's impregnable because it's his. Can I I read you this? This is just a couple of verses out of Philippians 3. This is kind of a famous passage. People know a lot about it. They say, and, and, and I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And listen, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Have you got that? 
Guys, the, the name Satan is a name that means accuser or adversary. And, and he attacks me where I am the shallowest. And I'm the shallowest in my emotional life. He, he aims at my conscience with all of his slanderous attacks. And against those, who's going to stand? I want to read you just, it's just one sentence from a man by the name of G.G. Findlay. He's an old British, uh, and I think he's Scotch, or Scottish. But it's just one sentence. He says this, the completeness of pardon for past offense and the integrity of character that belongs to the justified life are woven together in an impenetrable mail. Guys, do you know what mail is? Go back to some of those movies that you saw about the, you know, the knights in the round table and they put on their, their armor and they put on this kind of metal shirt and which was made it hard for swords to get into and slice them all up. That was called mail. Well, can I read it to you again? The completeness of pardon for past offense. Drink that down, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> The completeness of pardon for past offense and the integrity of character that belongs to the justified life are woven together in an impenetrable mail. Ladies and gentlemen, wrap yourself up in that. And if you do, your your whole emotional life will settle down. There's an increased sanity. There's an increased safety. Because what Satan wants to convince you of, particularly in times where you've done badly, when you have failed, when you did bad, what he wants to convince you of is that you're not right with God. God is against you. Well, how do I know I am right with God? Because I have staked a claim to a righteousness that is not mine that he gave me in Christ Jesus. Guys, if you are trying to stand in your own righteousness, then I can tell you, you're not right with God. But if you're pointing to this one, This one that God gave you in Christ. You're safe. I don't know what you've done. This sounds so harsh, but I don't care what you've done. My whole center of my inner self that is under the attack of the evil one is protected by a righteousness that was given to me in Christ. That's big time armor, ladies and gentlemen. That's big time protection. Because when you're laying in bed tonight, And you just blew it with your husband. And your conscience is 
alive and well. And the enemy is trying to use it to convince you, you really don't belong to him. The thing that keeps us safe is righteousness. Righteousness that is not my own. It was given to me by a God who takes delight in putting sinners right with himself through Christ Jesus. Okay, guys, we got four more. And, and, and we'll go fast. The, the, the third thing that he mentions, he mentions it in verse 15, has to do with shoes. Shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, guys, for us, shoes are more of a fashion item than anything else, and so it's kind of hard to relate to this. But, but as far as a Roman soldier was concerned, he couldn't accomplish much on bad feet. You know, I, I've got some bad feet these days, and I'm, I'm really sensitive to this. But uh, he couldn't, a Roman soldier couldn't go anywhere because of some bad feet. So shoes for him was, were, not, were not a fashion item. Shoes, if they were to be effective, they were more like cleats. They were, they were designed to gain traction. They were, they, were to, they were to permit a firm grip, stability in, in this battle that I'm in. Consequently, there was an increased mobility on his part because there was traction underneath him. There was something solid underneath him. Wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in the gospel of peace are an easy prey for the devil. Gang, for the Christian, the gospel of peace is to provide for them a stability. It's, it's the gospel that puts our feet on some solid ground underneath us. That gospel is the one that announces that God has made peace between wicked people like me and himself. And he's done that through the Savior that he provided, whose name is Jesus. Friend, could I, could I just pause here long enough to ask you this? Have you embraced that gospel? Have you embraced that Savior who is the center of that gospel? Are you here today outside of the household of faith? You don't have to go home like that. But for my Christian brother or sister, the thing that puts underneath is some stability such that I no longer have to live a life of paralysis brought on by uncertainty is a gospel that announces God is reconciled to me through Christ Jesus. Fourth, a shield. It's our, I guess, our first line of defense. It's mentioned in verse 16, by the way. By faith, this shield of faith, I'm supposed to parry off all those things that, that are flung at me. And, and, and I want you to notice in verse 16, because this is so, um, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Guys, have you ever, have you ever tried to pray? <laughs> I bet you have. Have you ever tried to pray and you're, 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 you're just doing your, your, your darndest to be a spiritual person? And you're, you're, you're kneeling next to the couch and, and you're just, you know, you're just praying, you know. 
You're just trying to learn a little bit about, you know, you heard that, that obnoxious Jimmy Young say something about praying. And so you decided you're going to pray a little. And so there you are kneeling next to your bed and you're, and you're praying and, and, you, and you're, you're saying some nice things. And all of a sudden, there's something in my head that is vile. And you wonder, good grief, where did that come from? I mean, I was praying. Here I am in my highest spiritual moment. And I'm doing this. Where did that come from? Well, he tells you um, that you can extinguish all the flaming darts. There you are, kneeling next to your bed and... And I'm off racing and thinking about things that are absolutely vile. But the way that is to be extinguished is that I am to be reminded of what God has said in his word. I, um, when, when Satan says, hey, hey, Jimmy, <laughs> why, don't you, uh, why don't you try this? Hey, Jimmy, uh, why don't you look at this? Hey, Jimmy, why don't you call her? All those unexpected temptations. I am by faith to choose what God has said over the voice of the tempter. No, I can't look at that, Satan. I can't because I believe that God in his word said that ain't good for me and that is an exercise of a shield of faith. A helmet. A helmet protects one's head. Uh, by the way, it's in verse 17. Um, it, it, I, I would suggest that Paul has in mind trying to protect what we think. You know, guys, I... I um, I hesitate to say things like this, but <clears throat> we in the evangelical church in the 21st century place so little importance on Bible study. You know how I know that's true? Because we have a church of about 1,800 people, or at least 1,800 people who call this place their church home. And you know how many show up for a Bible study on a Wednesday night? Mm. We place so little value on Bible study and then we wonder how did I ever get into this mess well it's because my thinking's kind of messed up And I'm supposed to, um, I'm supposed to have something that protects how I think. And information from God sure does improve, at least, the way I think. The final thing in verse 17, he mentions a sword. It's an offensive weapon. That is, he's on the move. He's, it's, uh, he says it's God's word. That is, that God's word is the, is the thing that is supposed to 
penetrate a dark and, and uh, messed up culture that we live in? You know, guys, for us, instead of, instead of taking this seriously, what we do in the evangelical world is that we substitute acts of self-denial and asceticism and little legalistic functions um, for the armor of God. Um, we think that the thing that will protect us is my performing well. It won't. But this will. I draw your attention to one other thing and I'll, and I'll quit. He mentioned, I, I should say something about prayer. He, he goes into great um, length about praying in verse 18. But the thing that, that I want to draw your attention to is um, what he says in verse 18. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. This is not a sprint. It's a um, marathon. You know, guys, the margin of victory in, in any contest is perseverance. Um, have, have you been listening to all the, the, uh, the ESPNs and the, I don't know whether you listen to this stuff. I do. But, I mean, they're, they're talking big time these days about that, are, that football games, NFL football games, are won in the fourth quarter. They talk about, for instance, the Dallas Cowboys. They're not a good fourth quarter team. You know, they take leads into the fourth quarter. They just lost to the Giants a week ago, and they had a 12-point lead with five minutes to play, and, 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 and they lost the game to the Giants and Eli Manning, et cetera. And, and then they talk about Tebow, Tebow being the great um, finisher, the great fourth-quarter quarterback, the, uh, the guy that uh, they'll pull it out uh, towards the end. You know, when I played football uh, in high school, I was a quarterback. I wasn't a very good quarterback because I couldn't throw a football very well. Um, but back in high school, I mean, I was a decent running back. So, you know, um, they made me the quarterback. I threw two times a game um, in both incompletions. Uh, but, but I could run fairly well, and so I'm kind of interested in running backs. And the standard in running backs in the NFL is 1,000 yards. You know that? You got a thousand yard rusher here. You know, he, he's, he's uh, 18 yards under, uh, away from a thousand yard season. And, and um, you know, it's, he's almost to a thousand yards. He's over a thousand. You know, you hear it all the time if you watch football. Now think about that. 16 games. 16 weeks. Three hours a week. And he gains just over a half of a mile. What's so cool about that? What's cool about that, ladies and gentlemen, is that he had to fight for every inch of it. And so do we. And the only equipment we're offered is the stuff that's being discussed in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. And it's all stuff that points us to the finished work of Jesus Christ on behalf of his people. It points us to God and his word and the promises and the truths that he has outlined for us here.
we neglect this. To our own harm. Our Father, forgive us. Forgive us that we trifle with holy things. Forgive us that we are um, experts on thousand mile, a thousand yard rushers and didn't have the slightest notion what some of this said in Ephesians 6. Forgive us, O God. Um, we recognize that our, um, our, our negligence has cost us. Uh, it's cost us in terms of any kind of spiritual advance. It's cost us in our marriages. It's cost us as parents. It's, it's cost us. And so would you enable us now to... Um, by the power of the Spirit to grasp with great sobriety the fact that we're in a battle with someone who wants to kill, steal, and destroy and that the provisions for that battle are made for us here in your word and in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We love to pray in his name.